and welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. We're so glad to see you here today. Thank you for being with us. We've got a, we've got a lot to get into this morning, and so I'm going to ask you to do something I don't always ask you to do. As I read the scripture reading this morning, I'm going to ask that you would open your pew Bibles. They should be just distributed around you, or you can even use your own Bible if you brought it with you. But we're going to be reading from a passage. It's actually part of a larger story, and I want you to have that story handy so that you can refer to it as we are going through our passage this morning. So I'm going to actually read just the first 16 verses of chapter 10. They'll appear on the screen behind me. They'll also be in the bulletin in front of you. But, but the entire passage is actually in the book of Acts in chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. So take a moment, find that, and then hear now the word of God as it comes to us from Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, different Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common or unclean. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we know that this is your word. It is completely true and it is given in love. So speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. One of the most powerful sermons that I have ever read is a, is a sermon on this passage. It was delivered by the late Dr. John Leith, one of my mentors, one of my former teachers, and it had a strong influence on my ministry. The sermon was delivered in 1949, long before Brown versus Board of Education before Martin Luther King came to prominence, before the Civil Rights Act, 
At that time, Dr. Leith, before he had become a faculty member at Union Seminary, was the pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Auburn, Alabama. And upon this passage, he said this. He said, Peter's vision had far deeper implication than the matter of eating meat. Whether or not to eat port is an aesthetic question, I suppose. At least it stands on the periphery of life. Peter, though, had been calling some people unclean, which was no trifling matter. Such an act was and is of crucial significance. Peter had been raised in a society that had taught him from the early days of childhood that he as a Jew was better than others. And now Peter was confronted with the exacting demands of Christian discipleship. What God hath cleansed, call thou not unclean. God had made all men clean. Dr. Leith's message in the racially segregated South was this. What God has cleansed, call not thou unclean. It's amazing that decades later, Dr. Leith's been dead for over 20 years now, but we are still dealing with these same issues of division, of racism, of all of the things that divide us. The children of Israel had always known that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob is the sovereign over all creation. He's the sovereign over all empires. He's the Lord over all nations. But there's, there had always been a hard line between the children of Israel, the covenant people of God, and the Gentiles, those pagans. The word literally means outsiders who walked in darkness and followed their own ways and followed their own gods. Now, of course, one had to deal out of necessity mixing uh, uh, with these people in business and things like that, but, but you weren't supposed to mix with them. Not with these Gentiles, not with those people. It was not just a taboo, it was considered an abomination. This was a rich, a powerful, a caustic, a toxic rivalry. Not like the rivalries, say, for example, between A&M and Texas fans or OU fans or Auburn, Alabama fans or something like that. This was deep. This was real. And it went beyond simply whether you liked somebody or not. And so this story, although it's 2,000 years old, is radical in its time because God was doing a new thing. This passage is about God expanding his covenant of grace and his covenant of restoration beyond Israel to all nations. Now there's a thematic lesson to be had in this passage, and there's also some practical information, some practical lessons that we need to learn as well. And really the question before us on this passage is, how do we witness to those that we thought or that we think are out of bounds, are beyond our lines are over that line. How do we talk to people who are out of bounds? How do we share the gospel with them? So looking at the story, Peter was at the house of a friend. And while he was praying, something really weird happened. God gave him this extraordinary vision. It's as, it's as if a movie screen was lowered from heaven and the Lord begins this supernatural slideshow or, or PowerPoint presentation. 
And the Lord starts flashing pictures of all the unclean animals, reptiles, birds, rodents, shellfish, pigs, animals that the Jews were prohibited from eating. And then the voice in the vision addressed Peter directly and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, it seems like Peter thought that this was some kind of test. Or he thought that it was some kind of trap. Because Peter, being a devout son of Israel, actually argued back against the voice. He said, I've been taught from my childhood not to eat these things. But then the voice of the vision came back and said, what God has made clean, do not call unclean. And then it happened again and a third time. And this is not just the Lord being repetitive. In the Bible, the threefold repetition of something is a way of emphasizing that this is of superlative importance. In other words, pay attention. This is important. And even though Peter knew it was important, he had no idea what this meant. I mean, beyond the literal understanding that he could now eat shrimp and barbecue and bacon and cheeseburgers and a host of other things that were previously off the menu for the Jews. But the Bible says that he was perplexed. And so what does the Bible say? The Bible says that Peter pondered what he had seen. Notice that this vision didn't come with any instructions or clues or hints or plans or strategic next steps or details. It's just a, a heads up that something is about to happen and that it's going to be relevant. He knew that God had told him something deep and he knew that God had told him something powerful and holy, but he wasn't at all sure what it meant. But rather than ignore it, Rather than just go on with his day or rather than go off on some half-baked direction, launch off on some half-cocked scheme, Peter did what we should all do. He paused. He paused for a moment and he pondered. He meditated on the vision. He sat in this holy moment waiting for God to show him more. One of the most, and well, excuse me, one of the first and most important steps of sharing the gospel with others is to pray, pay attention, and ponder the holy moments that God puts us in. God was doing a new and holy thing here. And God had interrupted Peter's day. God was telling Peter something that he was about to do and that he was about to do something that would change the lives of millions. But rather than just push on through, Peter sat in this holy moment and pondered. He's thinking, the Lord's telling me something here. Well, the next day, when the men from Cornelius appeared at the door of his friend, the Spirit's direction was much more clear. The Holy Spirit said to him, Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. I mean, here comes this, this patrol, a couple of servants and a soldier to come and collect Peter. Now, Peter was still trying to figure out what the meaning of this vision was when God said, you know what, time to go. To be a witness means to be open to what God is doing. And it means going and trusting God even when we're still trying to figure out what God is telling us to do. 
We always feel like what we have to do first is we have to have all the details worked out first and then we obey. That once we understand, then we obey. But we understand from this passage that understanding comes after obedience. We're not going to understand until we follow what God tells us to do. The question is, are we open to following God's lead and trusting that he has all the answers, even if we don't? Because Peter had some big questions. Cornelius was a Gentile. And Peter knows that it is against the law of God to enter the home of a Gentile. But in the vision, it seemed that God had given him permission to go to this house. It, was, it wasn't a direct connection, but, but it seemed like that's what God was saying. I mean, but what would that do to his reputation? What would that do to his credibility? What would that do to the credibility of this movement? But aside from this religious taboo, this was a, a, very, a potentially very dangerous mission. I mean, persecution was increasing. Christians were losing their lives. The church was scattered and on the run. And, here, and he was a leader of the movement. And then this Roman centurion, who was an agent of Pontius Pilate, one of Jesus' executioners, sends a group of men to bring him to his house. I mean, the Bible says that he was a God-fearer, but, but he was also one of the enemy. Was this a trap? Was he being set up? Keeping this appointment required vulnerability and trust. And so Peter went. I can only imagine what it was like for Peter and Cornelius when they finally met. I mean, have you ever had an experience that is so out of the ordinary so outside of the box and so powerful that no one seems to understand, no one seems to get it. I mean, here are these two men from totally different worlds who have shared this extraordinary experience. They have each had a holy moment, and at this point... The only person who, who understood what happened to Cornelius was a Jew. And the only person who understood what happened to Peter was a Roman. I mean, one had had a vision. The other one had had a visitation from an angel. What on earth is going on here? I can't figure this out. i got to talk to somebody. And the only one that I can talk to is this guy. Because nobody else gets it. And from that point on, they were bound together by the power of this unique experience that they had now had. And I can just imagine when they got together, they said, well, what happened to you? I don't know. What happened to you? And this, this is crazy, right? God had just done something amazing in both of their lives. And now they find out that God has brought them together, this man of the East and this man of the West, this Jew and this Roman, this fisherman and this soldier, here they were in this holy moment. Whenever we're witnessing to outsiders, one of the things we have to ask is, what do we have in common? What is it that God's doing here? What's brought us together? And we have to appreciate this connection. 
We have to pay attention to what draws us together, not just what separates us, not just what makes us different. You know, what experiences has God given us to connect with outsiders? What is the God opportunity in this moment? But when Peter got to Cornelius' house, how did he show up? How did he meet Cornelius? The scripture tells us that he met him with humility. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, for I too am a man. Peter was saying, it's not about me. I'm not God. I'm not an angel. I'm a man, and I'm in the same boat that you're in. I mean, yes, you are one of the one of the Romans. You're a Roman. You're one of the people who killed Jesus. But guess what? I denied him three times on the night that he was killed. I was one of the people who abandoned him. I'm really in the same boat you're in. Peter was vulnerable with him. He was humble. And so they were able to talk. And they did talk. And they, they compared notes. And they engaged in conversation. And Peter had questions. So did Cornelius. Peter knew that God was setting him up for something, and Cornelius knew that God was setting him up for something. But what? Neither of these men yet knew what God was going to do. But Cornelius had summoned him here to, to hear whatever it was that the Lord wanted him to hear. The Lord told Cornelius that there was something he needed to hear from this Jew. And the Lord told Peter that there was something that he was supposed to say to this Roman. So when Peter asked, why did you send me? Cornelius said, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. His answer was that Peter was going to tell them something that they needed to hear. This was a moment for clarification, for understanding. When a God moment happens, it's confusing, it's disorienting, it requires explanation. Our actions, God's actions, need to be interpreted with words. Both of them knew that God seemed to be doing something here. But sometimes we need theology, sometimes we need explanation, sometimes we need information, and sometimes we even need an invitation to understand what God is doing and what he wants of us. People, people love to quote St. Francis of Assisi who once said that we should proclaim Christ and wherever we go, when necessary, we should use words. And that's a beautiful reminder that we have to not only talk to people, but we also have to serve people. It's a reminder that if we do not come to people with the love and compassion of God, unless people feel the love and compassion of his people, they're not going to trust God. And we remember what James said, that faith without works is dead, but what, that's not the end of it. A witness without words is mute. Yes, faith without works is dead, but a witness without word, without explanation, without interpreting the moment, that holy moment, leaves people confused and empty. A witness is not someone who just shows up. It's someone who shows up with the truth of Jesus Christ and points them 
to the truth and understanding of what's going on. It's about clarification with content. And so what did Peter do? So Peter opened his mouth and shared the gospel. You know, this talking part is really the daunting part of witness for so many people. But beloved, if we're going to share the truth of Jesus Christ, we have to be willing to learn how to talk about our faith. Now, that doesn't mean that we claim to know everything. We can't claim to know everything. But we do have to go public with what we do know. And what we do know is the truth of Jesus Christ. And so that's what Peter gave him. God did have a message for Cornelius, and so Peter opened his mouth. So what did Cornelius, excuse me, what did Peter say to Cornelius and his family? Well, if you read through the gospel that Peter preached to Cornelius, you'll see that at first his words sound very general. It sounds like the standard gospel. It sounds like every other sermon that he's preached in Acts so far. But if we pay careful attention, we'll see that even though it was the same gospel, this gospel, this word, is exactly what this Roman soldier needed to hear. Listen to what Peter said. Peter said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he has sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. To summarize, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. But then what? Then they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And listen to this part. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Now, let's pause right there for a second. To us, again, this may sound very general, familiar, the familiar declaration and story of Jesus. But these last words in particular would have cut Cornelius right to the heart. Because although the Bible doesn't say this, ancient church tradition identifies Cornelius, the centurion of the Italian cohort, to be the same centurion who was tasked to oversee the crucifixion of Jesus. He did his duty. But the Gospel of Mark tells us that when Jesus finally surrendered his spirit to the Father, it was the centurion at the foot of the cross who declared, truly, this man was the Son of God. Now, whether or not that was Cornelius, we can debate. But he was definitely on the side of those who killed Jesus. And whether he was there or not, it was his people who had brutalized, 
and murdered the Son of God, the only sinless man who had ever lived, who preached only peace and righteousness and yet was sentenced to death to satisfy the bloodlust of an angry mob and to preserve the power of a corrupt empire. He had not only killed an innocent man, he had killed the only innocent man. Jesus had preached love and he killed him. He had preached forgiveness and righteousness and he had been crucified for it. He was the son of God and yet he was murdered. And his death was such an abomination that the earth quaked and the sun went dark and the graves cracked open. And Cornelius was carrying that. And Peter specifically said that Jesus is the real thing. And you know what? He's alive and he is the real judge of the living and the dead. And if there was anything that the Romans understood, it was the rule of power. Whoever has the power makes the rules. And Peter was saying that this is not Hades or Pluto or Mars or Caesar or any of the other false gods of Rome. It is Jesus who holds all authority in heaven and on earth in the palm of his hand, and it is he, it is before his throne that all will stand in judgment. And this is no longer a testimony. This is now an indictment. It is now a condemnation. What Cornelius is hearing is you went to war with the real king of the universe, and you lost. Prepare to meet your punishment but then Peter said to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name this is not what Cornelius expected to hear he was forgiven. No matter what you've done, no matter what condemnation you deserve, no matter what brokenness drives you in fear or anger from him, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Peter says, believe in him and you Cornelius are forgiven. If Cornelius was indeed at the cross, then perhaps Cornelius had heard something that Jesus said through parched lips of agony, words of incomprehensible mercy and grace, words of love. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And now here is Peter telling him not only that Jesus has forgiven him but that God loves him and that God wants him to be a part of his family. I'm sure, just like me, when you read this the first time, Peter's declaration sounds like a generic summary of the gospel. But to Cornelius, it hit him 
right between the eyes. It pierced him to the heart of his guilt and his horror and his shame of what he'd been a part of. And I believe that this is exactly what this Roman needed to hear from Peter. God's forgiveness. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Even the sins of the Gentiles. Even the sins of the outsiders. Even the sins of the executioners who killed Jesus. Finally, one of the things we learn from Peter is to consider the moment and open the door. Seize the day. Carpe diem. What happened next? While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter did what we all need to do, which was not to pass by the moment, to work through the moment, to ignore the moment, but to seize the moment and tell Cornelius, tell his family that God wants you to be a part of his family and that can happen for you right now. There's not a process. There's not a, there's not a, a thing you have to do because it's all been done by Jesus Christ on the cross. Won't you trust in him? Peter did what we all need to do. He seized the moment. He claimed the opportunity with an invitation. Do you trust Jesus? Do you believe that he forgives you? Do you believe that he loves you and he can change your life? Do you want to be baptized? Peter's vision was about both permission and mission. The vision was not just about giving Peter permission to enter the home of a Gentile. It was about showing him that his mission is now to share the covenant of God's love through Jesus Christ with all people. And Peter's vision and Cornelius' visitation show us that God is both sending his witnesses and preparing people to receive his good news and to follow There's a word for the believer in this passage. Who are the people who are out of bounds for you? The people who you feel like are just too far out there to reach. What this passage is telling us is that we have to have open minds to ponder what God might be doing. Open hearts to whom God is reaching. Open mouths to clarify how God is moving and open arms to receive the people that God is bringing. Who are the people who seem so far away from God that they seem beyond our reach? There's also a word to the people who are trying to figure these things out, who are seeking Christ. And that word is this, that the love of God and eternal life are not away from you are not segregated from you. 
They are for you, regardless of your background, regardless of your sin. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord, trust Him with your life, then your sins are forgiven. Even if you're, on, even if you're in trouble, even if you're on the outside, the one you're looking for is looking for you. He is real, and he is looking for you. And in spite of everything it cost him, God became one of us to prove that he cares. And God raised Jesus from the dead to prove that he has the power to make a difference in your life today. He is the real thing. And if he can make a victim the Savior, then he can make an outsider a part of the family. Trust him? Do you believe that he forgives you? Do you believe that he loves you and can change your life? Do you want to be baptized? Oh Lord, I just pray right now that you would work in the hearts. And you would work in the minds, not only of those of us who know you, who need, to be, who need to be pushed out into this moment, but Lord, I pray that you'd be with all those who are seeking you. That they would know right now and that they would hear right now that they are forgiven. And that if they will just trust you, you will hold them in the palm of your hand forever. Lord, help us to understand that it's not about what we have to do, but what Jesus Christ has already done. And what he has done is promised us forgiveness. Oh, Lord, I know that right now there's somebody in this room who needed to hear that today. Lord, help us to do something with this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.
I say this every week, but there's nobody who is here this morning by accident. You may have come with a friend. You may have just wandered in. You may have come because you just aren't sure why you're here, but you're here right now. And the reason for that is because God has been seeking you. And he has found you. And he wants you to hear this, that everyone who believes in him, no matter where you're coming from, no matter what it is that you brought into this place this morning, that everyone who believes in him is forgiven of your sins. And that doesn't just mean that that suddenly you have a clean slate and that's all there is to it. It means that, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life, that it has a, he has a position for you on his team, and that he has a place for you at his family table. So what are you going to do in this holy moment? Maybe you're not ready to do anything yet, but I just ask you not to move through it. Don't pass it by. Ponder it. Has God shown you something? Something that's bothering you that's moving you, that's holy. Just please ponder it. Think about it. And for those of you who are here, who are already following Jesus, I guarantee you that right now in this room today, or at some point this afternoon or this week, you are going to meet somebody who has been prompted to look for you. God's already set up an appointment for you. Will you keep it? Will you have an open heart and an open mind and an open mouth and open arms? He's calling you to connect with somebody, to let them know that all that, that, all that they were carrying can be lifted by him. So knowing that, I want you to raise your hands. I want you to receive this charge and this blessing. Now go forth into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no person evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine full upon your face and the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.